Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of BXB's Bits and Bobs. And I want to start with something serious straight away. As seems to be the norm right now, we we record a podcast, it seems to be straight after yet another shocking, horrible tragedy somewhere on this planet. Uh, and this time we've had something really quite near to us, which was the horrific attacks in Nice that just occurred uh, a couple of days ago. Um, I don't want to go into details. Uh, if you've not heard about this, um, it's all over the all over the internet. I suggest not looking for videos too much, though, because there's some really disturbing shit out there that nobody should see. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, uh, a guy drove a lorry into a whole bunch of people celebrating Bastille Day in Nice, in France, and uh, you know, nearly was 85 people were killed, and a whole lot of people were injured, and you know, might still die and stuff like that. It's ab- it's absolutely disgusting and awful. And, I think it's important, you know, that we are socially aware of these things and acknowledge that these things happen, uh, because you know we all live in this world, and uh, you know these things need to stop. So yeah, I don't know if you guys want to add anything, but what can you say? There's nothing to add, really. Terrible, just terrible. Yeah, I'm not sure what to say about it. I think the last time we talked about something like this, and it does come up too often. Um, I kind of said I don't really want to say too much because that's kind of the point of people doing this sort of thing, isn't yeah. it? So I'd rather not. But yes, terrible. I mean, we could talk about all kinds of politics and stuff, but that's this isn't really the place. And uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy shit going on right now, and uh, it just feels like you know every day is is some other dark thing that it feels I was talking to the wife last night and she's like is it worse than when we were kids are things worse and I'm not sure they are but it, it just feels like they are um, maybe that's just being older and more aware of these things but uh, yeah it's, uh, it's a dark place we seem to be living in right now especially in the UK and Europe so uh, not, not, not great to change I, wouldn't say, some... I wouldn't say especially in the UK. I mean, we grumble about our politics, but, you know, we're not dying or anything, so puts it no, in perspective, uh, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, right, you're right. I mean, it, it, just, you know, it all feels like it's getting on top, you know. Hey, at least we didn't have a military coup nearly happen. Well, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. Turkey, you know. But then again, it's kind of part of their history. They really, really enjoy a good coup. Um, it's kind of how, it's how they roll in Turkey. Uh, but yeah. that seems to have sorted itself out. You know, only only like seventy people died, so yeah, whatever, it's fine. Um, it's probably going to set back their EU entry that is going to happen next month, isn't it? I don't think. I, I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen next month. and never was, but you uh, know. Yeah. All right. But this isn't the politics cast. Let's talk about what T-shirts we're wearing today. Oh God! <laughs> this is a thing now, is it? This is a thing. It's become a thing. I'm I'm rock, I'm rock, I'm repping a, a giant bomb Lucha Deer shirt. I think Giant Bomb is probably the best uh, video game website out there on the planet, except obviously for ours. Um, and uh, I'm a I'm a paid member and proud of it. And uh, I love those guys, and I don't mind giving them some free publicity. So there you go. All right. What, what about you, Richard? Next? Oh, is it me? Yeah, you're up with next, Richard. Yeah, I want you. Perfect dark. Nice. Oh, very nice. You got your your rare shirt. Very cool. Very cool. Yes, you got was that that was on sale or something. I can't remember. You said uh, you snapped that up. Your team. It was. Uh, it was like six pounds or something. Bargain. I was insert yeah. coin. Yeah, no, they they insert, make good yeah. shirts. Yeah, everyone go to insert coin. They're good. Look at that. Send us some sponsorship. We could do with that income. That would be nice. Adam, are you just wearing a plain blue shirt? Yeah, just a plain blue long sleeve t-shirt. You're letting us 
down, man. I'm going to have to raise my t-shirt game at this rate. How are we going to get the sponsorship monies if you don't if you don't rep? I mean, what is going on? My God. Um, I've got some other housekeeping bits, actually, I kind of want to get out of the way at the top of the show here. Um, have you? Yeah. We've, um, we're recruiting. Yeah, basically, we're looking for another writer, another content creator, not just a writer. You could want to produce video. You could want to get on the podcast. Uh, you can write reviews. You could write retrospectives like I did, uh, though I didn't write it. I, uh, I did a video for it. There's lots and lots of options. Uh, PS4, Xbox, PC, or all of the above. Um, if you're interested, drop us a line on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, it'll get to me, and I'll get in touch with you, and, and we can talk about you know, uh, getting your content on the like, onto the website. I mean, basically, I, I'm not looking for anything in particular here. Just somebody who wants to talk about video games, getting and getting on the conversation. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Anybody interested? Let me know. And then uh, I also wanted to thank Rob. Rob, a, a guy who's got a brand new video review coming up very soon. I've just been sitting here watching it prior to the podcast, and trust me when I say it's even better than his last one. Uh, and that was something special. Because um, because he created what is now the logo for the site, which I which I co-opted quite happily when I saw it, and have plastered all over social media, and hopefully it will appear on the main website soon as well. Uh, it's retro, it's fun, I really like it, um, and that's everywhere now as well. So thank you to Rob for that. That was that was pretty solid work there, I have to say. Um, well done, have Rob. You, have you, how have you guys been the last couple of weeks? Besides being obsessed with all the politics, the fun oh. stuff. Oh wow! You know, I'm sitting here thinking, what should I put down on our notes to talk about? And there actually isn't anything else apart from tragedy and horror, is there? <laughs> You've got to laugh. You do have to laugh. I literally, I mean, the other night when <coughs> when, when we found out about Boris as the foreign secretary, I I broke down. I, I kind of just started laughing and slightly crying, yeah. and I got really hysterical because it was like, "This is the most fucked up thing!" Like, like what? Is it a joke? I saw, I, th I think I saw Ash post a, a tweet on Facebook that Dave Gorman had said, like, "This this episode of Black Mirror has been going on for seven months now," <laughs> and I thought, yeah. I thought that nailed it. Like, yeah, what the fuck is the world right now? Seriously. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, but there are, there are good things. We've all been watching wrestling. We've been watching wrestling to escape a little bit, guys. We've been watching quite a lot of wrestling, yes. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Richard? You've been watching wrestling? I've been watching a hell of a lot of Game of Thrones. I'm up to oh, middle of season three. Lots of fun. Light-hearted entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> not, not wallowing in the depression. Have you noticed how everybody you love dies in that show yet? I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's a running gag, really. Yeah, and yet somehow, somehow it still has a more positive outlook on politics than the real world. <laughs> now, isn't it good? Isn't Game of Thrones incredibly good? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's got such a broad palette. Like some of the episodes are really funny. Some of them are horrific. It's just it does everything. Very good show. I like. I quite like it, but it. I, I got bored. I'm. I'm two seasons behind now. I did get a bit. I'm, I'm going to try and get back to it, though, I think, yeah. Absolutely. Have you guys both seen the Cruiserweight Classic Episode 1? No! No! <laughs> well, I can't really spoil it, Richard, anyway, because it's a bunch of dudes you've never heard of in, in round one fights. Um, you know, so it's not really something I could be... You know, you're going to get spoiled on the, on the outcome. None of the... Uh, 
the kind of the, the Western names you might recognize wrestled in this first episode anyway. Um, yeah. So it was it, none of the Brits either. So it was all it was all kind of um, except for the very last ma- match up. It was all kind of un- unknowns who did it, it. Was a real mix, wasn't it? I thought. What did you think? Adam, I thought it, it, some were better than others, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Before um, you t- say how good it was or, or not, can you just explain what it is then? Because I thought it was known stars. So yeah, okay. People, right. What's Let's the do point? it. Let's do it. The, what does it do? Cruiserweight, the Cruiserweight Classic is a 32-combatant uh, tournament because, you know, these matches are not predetermined, guys. That never happens in wrestling. <laughs> it's real. Wrestling is real. So you can have a tournament, which is, I think, a brilliant fallacy. It's so entertaining that regard. Uh, and it's basically guys under 205 pounds weight, uh, international from 17 countries, I believe, have been scouted out by the WWE to come to Full Sail, uh, where they shoot NXT, <coughs> and compete in this tournament. So you've got a single elimination, you've got, you know, two brackets, and these guys, you know, the winner goes through, the loser goes out. Uh, and, the, and it's all kind of, it's kind of like embracing indie wrestling, because these guys have one match to tell a story, and some do it much better than others. Mm. Um, you know, to say, you know, I, I really thought, right, I can't remember the first matchup, I remember the second matchup. The guy from Hong Kong was really bad and pulled and pulled and telegraphed so many moves that it was just ridiculous. I thought the third matchup was really good. And I was really bummed out when the guy, um, the French guy, didn't win because I thought he was way more. He was great as a heel compared to the American who did go through. Uh, and then uh, the American Samoa against uh, Kaito, Kaito Ayabushi, I want to say from from uh, from NGP, uh, was a great match at the end, which was kind of their big. Their big title, uh, not big title match, main card match. And um, other than the fact that the, the Samoan guy, who is related to everybody else who's American Samoa uh, in, in wrestling, i.e. The Rock, The Usos, and Roman Reigns, um, he nearly died at one point, uh, and that was that was a highlight. That sounds great, yeah. yeah. Did you, you saw that, didn't you, Adam? Yeah, I've watched it, yeah. I, yeah. So I have a few observations. It's quite interesting. Um, it's odd that, like, obviously the Cruiserweight division is all about high-flying and, you know, springboard moonsaults off the nonsense. They'll tell you it's not. They'll tell you it's not all about that. I mean, they they would say, a cruiserweight would say, you can be a technical wrestler, you can be a grappler, you can be a submissive wrestler, you don't have to be a high-flyer. But nevertheless, the the style of wrestling on show here is one of the least plausible forms of wrestling in terms of looking like a legitimate contest. Um, And yet, this is the most... Of all the things WWE have produced in years and years, this has the presentation that is the most legitimate sporting contest for a form of wrestling that is the hardest to sell as that, which I thought was but, sort of interesting. But I think that's the point. I think the whole point is that they're they're trying to convince you that cruiserweights are more than just yeah, yeah. high flyers, and I think that. And I think they did a quite. I mean, I think they did a pretty good job of that in in this first episode. I think there's going to be better examples coming up. Oh, for it's going sure. to be, it's, it's going to be ten episodes long. I, I thought it was really weird, actually. A couple of things they didn't when they did the they did sort of like a, a bracketology thing uh, when they kind of introduced all the wrestlers early on, and they didn't even seem to know what format the show was actually going to be when they were talking about it. Um, they never mentioned that it was actually going to be ten episodes long, or you know, at one point they were inferring that these guys had to lose a lot of weight prior prior to their matchups. To, well, that, to that was that was like the angle in the first match, wasn't it? That yeah. one of the guys had cut weight badly to get in. But the weird thing is then, on the website it says, no, they have to keep this weight off throughout the tournament. But on this episode of Bracketology, they were talking about how, oh, will they suddenly crash, put back all the weight back on in muscle mass because they've already got into the tournament. 
So I was like, <laughs> they don't even know the format, yeah. you know. And these are meant to be the the commentators, Daniel Bryan and stuff, talking about it. By the way, Daniel Bryan, not a very good commentator, but kind of uh, cool that he's, but just not very good. Okay. <laughs> I think he might get better though. I think yeah. it's a it's an art. Um, mm. One of the interesting things about the way it's been presented is that. Often what you're watching is essentially two guys you've never heard of having a wrestling match. And what's interesting is that because it's this single elimination format, you end up kind of genuinely having investment in who wins the match, mostly based on how good they are as an in-ring performer. So, for example, the second match, I was furious because the shittest wrestler I have seen in a WWE ring in my life won that match. How, How does that happen? The guys against look pretty good. The young Japanese fellow, I don't remember his name, I'm terrible with names. My God, he was awful. He looked like he'd just come out of training camp. I mean, he was well, so the, bad. What, what we're really upset about him is he couldn't sell anything. He couldn't Wait. sell anything. He'd be on the ground meant to be in a position and he'd just be blank. Like, whatever, I'm having a nap. It's things I'm like fine. he was, you know, slingshot off the ropes and he comes back into the centre to be um, to take the shoulder and he'd plant his feet and wait. Yeah. Be, and it just yeah. looked dreadful. And Multiple everything times. he did looked dreadful. Yeah. It was really, it was, really poor. And it, was, it, it makes you wonder that, you know, you know pre-wrestling, the, the outcomes are predetermined. What happens in the match is not. Um, they might have a big spot planned out, but generally it's between the communication between the wrestlers. But the outcomes are predetermined. And they chose to have him go through. And it's kind of like, what, on based on what? Was he amazing in training? Did you see something fantastic when he, you know, maybe when he was back home, before when you, when you yeah. recruited him for this? I mean, I'm hoping there is something there because... Uh, wow, we're going to have to see him again, and he might, you know, go out very swiftly. Based on that's another thing with wrestling; they they will change their minds based on his performance here. Yeah, they'll I can't be like, imagine. he's not on the next round. So if, he was, if he's booked for a deep run into this, I don't think he is anymore because it was the worst match. It was really, yeah. really bad. Uh, another thing that amused me about it is often, you know, they have to try and make you care about a match in which there's two people you've never heard of. So they do these little like two-minute promo packages for each wrestler prior to the match with these hilarious kind of visu- uh, video packages that look like um, Dragon Ball Z. Like, yeah. <laughs> these animations. Yeah. CGI characters. Yeah. Really strange. And then you've got, like, so this guy's got essentially 15 seconds of dialogue to get over his character. And so you have these hilarious situations where, like, literally the first guy will be like, I'm in this to win it. I'll do anything it takes to win. And then the next guy will be like, I'm just here to please the fans. I'm on the fans' side. And it's like, you know, currently in the ring area, Facey McFaceton, who will fight the heel. Like, it's just hilarious. <laughs> it's so on the nose, well, wait, some wait, of the wait, characterization. You, you, you didn't, I take it you didn't watch the Bracketology episode. No, I didn't. Well, you wait, because they're the people that, he had such a hard life and a tough upbringing. <laughs> he's, he's pulled his socks up and worked hard to get where he is today. And then Daniel Bryan would be like, he's <clears> actually <throat> been wrestling longer than I have, or was, because I'm now... Yeah. So it's kind of like you know, it's it's you wait. You've not seen, and there's some um, there's some cool there's some cool looking competitors come up. You've got like Daniel Kendrick, for example, is is going to be back in this, which is crazy to see the Daniel Kendrick wrestling again. You know, I I, I just think that's mad. And you've got you know you've got a couple of old WWE guys coming back. You know, you got some Brits that look really interesting. Some people that are very very well known on the indie circuit around here and stuff. Getting their first big. Uh, push on the WWE. I suspect we're going to see a lot of recruitment out of this. I suspect the winner, especially, will end up in NXT. Um, yeah, but well, um, should we talk about NXT then? Have you watched NXT, Richard? Have I watched NXT? No, I haven't seen the Shinsuke oh. match. 
Oh, but I need to talk about that match well, so badly. Uh, uh, you're gonna get. You, you can switch off for a second because we're gonna talk about it briefly. Richard, if okay. you wanna, if you wanna take your headphones off just for a sec, well, I'll I'll wave or something. Wait. All right, I'll be back in a sec then. All right. Okay. He's actually gonna leave. Are you actually gonna leave? Yeah. I'm just gonna go get a drink. Okay. All right. Go on then. Get there. me one. I'll have a cold beer. Yeah. Can you get me one? I'm really thirsty. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Right. So, it was it was the best I've seen Finn wrestle in a long time. Adam, I don't know about you, but he was great. It's an odd one because I've not seen what the internet response to this match has been. Um, except in one place, I've seen one person talking about it, and they sort of said, oh, it was a very, very good match. It probably wasn't the greatest we've seen from Shinsuke, but it was very, very good. I've got to be honest, I watched it with my jaw on the floor. I think it's match of the year. I it thought was it was bad. incredible. Was <laughs> um, now, maybe I'm just out of sync with what everyone else thinks, but it was everything yeah. I want from a wrestling match. It was psychology, yeah. it was transitions, it, the false finishes like genuinely got me. I thought both of them were the end of the match, and neither of them were. It was majestic. No, it was a fabulous match, and it was clearly two friends who have wrestled many times before and know each other very, very, very well. Um, Giving a giving an amazing. I've just been corrected by my wife, by the way, who's overhearing me. It's not Daniel Kendrick, it's Brian Kendrick, and I don't know why I kept calling him <laughs> Daniel Kendrick. I apologise. I've been corrected by my my wife with her extreme wrestling knowledge. So there you go, Brian Kendrick. Is that Brian knowledge Kendrick. of extreme wrestling or extreme levels of wrestling? Probably both, because <laughs> she's been watching it a lot longer than me. But anyway, back to back to this match. Um, yeah, it was an amazing match, and it was Finn's goodbye. And if, if he is not in the draft, yeah. if he's not in the draft on Tuesday, I am a monkey's uncle. Like seriously, that's it. That was his goodbye to NXT, and it was a fabulous way to go out. Absolutely fabulous. Um, is there much more you wanted to say, or can I wave? No, I just wanted to rave about it. I just thought, knock, knock my socks off. Don't know what anyone else thought, but my God, best match was, of all year. You can come back, Richard. I'm waving. You can come back. We won't talk about it for too much longer. We've we've already talking about a lot of wrestling, and as I mentioned to Adam. I am I am considering a bi-weekly wrestling podcast that would be on the other week to this one. So maybe that will be happening at some point in the future. For if you want to just listen to us talk about wrestling, um, I, I might even have an in to some indie wrestlers in the UK. So that might be that might be cool. We might be doing that, but that's in the future. Shall we talk about some video games? Oh shit! Nobody's played any video games except for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't just monologue for an hour, and I, I probably could, but it would I've, hurt. I've played two video games. you played two? I've finished two video games. Oh, Ooh. you've written some things. You have. Go on, then. We'll go to Richard first, then, and he can he can shoot his load early. Um, what, have you, what have you been playing? Should we talk about the Xbox sale that was super awesome? Because I bought a shitload of stuff. I bought... Um, Red Dead Redemption, I got Left 4 Dead 2, I got Dark Souls 2, I got Doom, I also got Murdered Soul Suspect, which um, is the first game on that list. That's weird, isn't it? That's the first one I picked to play. <laughs> that um, is weird. You picked that over Doom? Yeah, well, you know, I've played a little bit of Doom, but I thought... Doom, so Doom is one of the best games of the year. Yeah, it's really good. I enjoyed it. And then I, I bought Soul Suspects for £4 and thought, £4, looks like a short game, I'll do that. And ended up playing it for an entire weekend. And Ooh. it was pretty good, actually, for 4 quid. I was going to say, most people were quite harsh on it when it came out. I didn't play it, but... It's, it's not a brilliant game, 
it's barely a game, in fact. I mean, the, the, it's walking about, picking up clues. It's like the investigation sections of L.A. Noir. You know? Yeah. So you, you're talking to people, picking things up. You can't turn things around in your hand, though, because you're a ghost and you can't pick stuff up. Right. So it's basically L.A. Noir if you were dead. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Does it look as... I mean, are the faces as good as they are in L.A. Noir, Richard? I suspect yep. It's it's actually a pretty good looking game, oh. and if you want something that's just really easy, you can just roll through it pretty quickly actually, unless you're looking for the collectibles, um, and a decent story with an okay-ish twist at the end. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So so you'd recommend it if you could travel back in time and buy it in the sale. It's going to come up again though, right? Because it's been in the sale dozens of times already. So next time yeah. it comes up, if you see it that cheap. I wouldn't sniff at it. It's uh, it's a pretty good deal if you like story-based games. So Walking Dead, that sort of thing, you know. I'm actually trying to remember what I bought in the sale now. Um, oh yes, I I will be talking about one aspect of it in a bit, uh, and I'll go into it in detail. But I also got South Park Stick of Truth on Xbox because I beat it originally on PC. Uh, I got um, oh Saints Row for re-elected edition for like four quid. I'm a big Saints Row fan. And uh, I'll probably never play that, I'll be honest. But it will sit on my hard drive and is, and is one of the games that helped me hit 300 digital games on my Xbox One. Jeez. So, um, I think you must have twice as many as me. Yeah, and that's, is that, that's not your installed number, though, is it? That's your overall... Uh, my, my installed number is pretty much exactly half that. So, yeah. Maybe yeah. we're about the same then. Yeah, I also... It, Last Light, which was in the sale as well, ridiculously cheap. I think that was about four quid as well, wasn't it? Or maybe less. Um, and I finally finished that just now. Actually, that's why I was late to this video. This. Uh, 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 how did you? How did I? I loved Metro 2033 uh, and beat that. Uh, I loved its janky, weird as fuckness, um, which I thought made it a really unique first-person shooter. Yeah. Last Light, I I, ne- I I own the bundle already on Xbox, but I've never really got further than about. Sort of 15% into Last Light. How how did you find it? It gets old quite quickly because it is a unique experience and it's one that doesn't quite stretch beyond the first game. I did play the first game a couple of times, two and a half times. Yeah. Um, but Last Light, I don't know. I think it just goes a bit too far with the idea. Um, there's far too much of it that's above ground. It really pushes that angle of you having to change your filters and your gas mask all the time. Right. Um, I would have liked to have seen them be a bit more lenient with that. That might be down to the difficulty level that I chose, to be fair. But <laughs> a lot more of the game is in toxic areas or above right. ground, where it's uh, nuclear pollution. Did you did you pick Cry cry Yourself to Sleep Hard or something? Uh, survivor mode, I think it was. Right. I think that's like, yeah, is, is, that's either the hardest or nearly the hardest thing, yeah, from what I remember. Yeah. And that's that's how the original game was meant to be played, so I figured well, I'll, I'll do that again. But it's quite a long game. For an FPS, there's quite a lot of levels to get through. And I um, don't know, it does kind of outstay its welcome. And the Alien Fellows, remember the Alien Fellows from the first game? Yeah. They're, they're in it again, but there's one really young Alien fella who follows you around, so it just feels a bit like Elvis out of Perfect Dark, you know? Didn't um, play Perfect Dark. But did you I'll... not? 
Well, for anyone watching and thought Elvis was a bit too silly in Perfect Dark, it's even more silly when you're in a gritty Soviet post-apocalyptic wasteland. Fair enough. Fair enough. Shall I um, shall I jump in with the game? Actually, oh no, no, I'm going to save that till a little bit later. But I will jump in with the game actually, because uh, I've got a couple I want to kind of get out of the way. Carmageddon max damage. Oh fuck, that's bad. I don't heard um, bad things about that game. It, it's uh, it's Carmageddon, guys. I mean, like, if you if you remember it in the '90s, it's still the same game, and that's the problem. Uh, the the handling is it's a driving game in which you drive around and you either finish races or you know destroy your opponents or mow down civilians because <laughs> '90s edgy, oh yeah, scary stuff that you know get in the paper. Uh, now you just kind of go yeah whatever. But the problem is it's a driving game with terrible handling, um, and that just there you go. That's that's kind of like ruins it immediately. Um, and then it tries to redeem itself with yeah like I said like gratuitous violence, dick jokes. Um, stupid, bad, badly written humor, terrible, terrible music, terrible voice acting, uh, just, just garbage, just garbage game. And, and what makes it worse? And I hate talking about this sort of stuff, but what makes it worse is that they're asking like thirty quid for it. And and you're looking at this, and it looks like shit. It plays like shit. It's not funny. It's the same game it was in the nineties, and it's just like you're only asking for thirty quid pounds because you know people will buy that because of nostalgia. And that is the only thing you have going for it. Yeah, I've heard quite I've heard quite bad feedback about this game. Not just that it's bad, but that it's almost knowingly bad. That it just trades mm. on the name. People will buy it for that, and it's cynically produced just to cash yeah, in. Or people who don't look any and deeper. And it's a shame because the, the the original developers are involved with making this, and you know it's it's a port. It's a console port of the PC game that was kickstarted. That it came out on PC, I think, about. 18 months, two years ago, um, and it might be a little bit, you know, a bit more bells and whistles, slightly more refined. Um, but I'm, I was talking to somebody about this, a friend of mine, and he was like, "Oh, I, I quite enjoyed that game. I was like, that game is okay." And I'm like, "How come you're so hard on it?" And I told him the price, and he went, "What?" And I went, "Yeah, 30 quid." And I said, "I paid about five pounds for that on PC, maybe less." And I'm like, "Yeah, I think if I paid, if it was a five pound game, you'd probably be more forgiving mm. um, because you would feel a lot less ripped off." And I, like I said, I don't always like talking about monetary value in video games because I think, you know, as art, interactive fiction, etc., 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 they should stand apart to a degree sometimes from the from the the money that you're asking to play it. Like, you know, Gone Home is a twenty dollar, fifteen pound game. It's a four hour experience. I think it's worth every penny. But this is not worth thirty pounds. If you see in the sale, like in another Xbox sale or something, and it's Ten pounds or less, maybe consider that then. You know, based on your fond memories of Carmageddon from back in the day. But right now, you'd have to be, you'd have to be nuts. And it's weird. I've got criticism for this negativity uh, online, um, but it always smacks of people trying to um, reinforce their purchasing decision. Yeah. You know, you know that situation where it's like, I've spent this money, therefore it must be good. Uh, it's not. You're deluding yourselves. This is not a good game, and I stand by that. Um, it's not the worst game, but it's not good. Um, so just, just, I'm sorry, but it's true. It's true. People are free to do that, you know. I don't mind if people want to validate their own purchases, but you got to remember, people who criticise video games online, they're not doing it to make people feel better for having bought a game already. It's partly to influence people who haven't fallen into that trap yet. So. Yeah. 
if if you're happy with it, fine, move on, go play it instead of slagging Ben off on Twitter, eh? Hey, you can slag me off. <laughs> I I quite like it because it it means people listen, so I'm fine with that. I mean, I I'm, I don't want by all means slag me off on Twitter. You're still wrong, but by all means. <laughs> Because <laughs> my opinion is the only one that matters. <coughs> um, no, listen, it's not true. Um, but uh, on, on top of that, I've, I've had a bit of a slew of mediocre games recently. Uh, probably because nobody else will take them, and therefore I have to cover them. Uh, and uh, that was the Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing 2. As I put in the tagline to my review, yeah, you, you didn't realise you wanted the first game, and now there's a sequel, and you don't want that one either. I mean, it's kind of like the first game was free. It was an Xbox uh, with gold, so at least it was free on Xbox. Uh, and it was even gold, uh, games with gold. And you know, it was a you know a slightly ropey, you know, knockoff of Diablo, and that's fine. It's free. Uh, this new one comes out, and that value question comes up again, and it's like forty quid, and it's, it's really it's really it's not free. Quid. I think approximately, yeah, it's in that area. And you're and I'm just like, okay, I actually have to be critical of this, and it's. It's got, uh, you know, terrible voice acting, janky gameplay, overly complicated UI. Um, the problem is, in, in a world in which Blizzard has done your genre, unless you have an amazing idea or an ability to make a great game, don't fucking try, because Blizzard's done it. And Blizzard made Diablo 3, and it's as close to a fucking perfect isometric action RPG that you will ever get, ever. So why bother unless you've got a fantastic idea? And this is not a fantastic idea, or well executed. Um, there's there's some ideas in there that are kind of cool. There's like incredible granularity to your leveling up and your skill choice. You could basically create almost infinite levels of builds for your character. Um, when it comes to like um, skill choice, you can create these sort of very custom specific uh, builds. You know how you want to play. But then when you actually go and play these builds none of them feel particularly different to each other. So everything kind of just blends together into a, like a brown mess, you know, which is kind of how the UI represents it, uh, a brown mess. Um, you know, on top of that, you've got just laughably bad voice acting, you know. Oh, is that guy going to turn out to betray me because he, he talks like this? And it's like, oh, I think he will. Yes, because they've telegraphed that from the moment he first opened his mouth. And it's just, it's so bad. Um, derivative art style, steampunk, monster bullshit. It's just... No, just don't. So, not, not worth 40 quid then, Ben. No! No, just buy Diablo 3. That's been in the sale a bunch of times as well now. And it's just yeah. like, that's such a great example. Uh, it's it's a strange thing to say if Blizzard's done it already, you know, don't bother. But it's kind of true, isn't it? It's like, when those guys make a game in a genre, everybody else better sit up and take notice because Overwatch is here, or Diablo is here, and it's like, if you want to do a game like that, I well no, I, bring it. I agree with Warcraft. I mean, the MMO space is notoriously difficult to break into, and they've pretty much got that stitched up. But anything else? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. I mean, it's what I'm saying is Blizzard have such an ability to make the most polished experience within a genre. Like Overwatch. Oh, they, oh yeah, they Overwatch do. Overwatch was but... you gave a five star to. I mean, anybody else coming to to that genre now is going to have to bring something fucking They're going to have to really dig deep. You know? but I yeah. wouldn't go as far as that's to say, right, that's it, game industry's over, Blizzard have done <laughs> that genre now. It's like if Blizzard <laughs> made an FPS, just fucking give up. Just all of you other guys, Activision, EA, don't bother ever again. <laughs> just fucking find a new job. Have you thought about being a farmer? 
Have you seen? Have you heard of Bitcoin? Because frankly, <laughs> that's all you can fucking do now. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? They have a way of of making very, very, very good games. It's like mm. we're still waiting for them to slip up, and it's like they haven't done it yet. So, um, you know, they've got an amazing track record of titles. But no, it's just a shame. When you see a game like this, and there are ideas in there, there is ambition in there. I get it was a small team. They shot, to, you know, yeah, it, just, it just misses for me in every way. But hey, hey-ho, let's talk about Pokemon, Adam. Yes, let's talk about Pokemon. That's all I've done this week is play Pokemon Go. That's it. That's my life now. I play Pokemon Go now. <laughs> uh, all right, let me let me pose it from my point of view. All right, so you can yes. you can, you can come at this. I don't have that nostalgia. All right, I I will admit I missed it. I missed Pokemon. I kind of I first tried Pokemon Red and Blue on a PC emulator. Like I was years late to the party and, and it didn't grab me. So now I see this what seems to be a relatively simplistic, unimaginative, geocaching-based mobile game, and the entire fucking planet has gone insane. Why, Adam? Why? Well, I think you gave the game away when you said your opening sentence was, I don't have the nostalgia, then you are immune to this, and congratulations, you will not catch the virus. But if you have the nostalgia, this is... Do you want to live in the RPG, Pokemon Blue? Is that where you actually want to live? Then download this app because now you live. <laughs> That's insane. Like it is an amazing, amazing idea, and I don't actually agree with the idea that you need the nostalgia. <laughs> this this thing has been obsessed over by kids. Nintendo yeah. brands are perennial; they're ever living. You know, they're not going to get old. Pokemon's here to stay. It doesn't feel like you need to be a 30, 40 year old to get it. Everyone loves this game. I just I just wish I could play it because I'm on Windows Phone. <laughs> I can come. Right, I mean, so just to throw some throw some annoying stats at you. Um, oh yeah, you the Pokemon Go app has been downloaded more times than Tinder, right? Already, <laughs> already. <laughs> that means more people are out looking for Pikachu than trying to get laid, right? <laughs> <laughs> the end. Nintendo win. They just win. <laughs> Well, Pornhub's going to be a very different looking place. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, probably buy some shares in furry porn because you're going to do well. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, like, I, it, it's hard to really talk about it in any kind of deeply analytical way because, in a way, you're right. Like, the game itself, it's not the strongest product. If there's a lot of ways I wish it was different. For starters, if you live in a rural area, you cannot catch Pokemon, which is the exact opposite of what I wanted it to be. <laughs> I imagined living out in the middle of nowhere would mean thousands of rare Pokemon in all directions. But no, if you want to catch Pokemon, you have to go into a town uh, because that's where they all are. And there's reasons for that that make some sense from a safety point of view. You want to make sure when you're spawning these monsters, you're spawning them in public spaces that people can get to, not you know, on the artillery range of the local MOD compound. I understand that. <laughs> I'd watch that YouTube video, though. <laughs> and also, I think, you know, to go inside baseball a little bit, um, most of the sort of framework of this game was set up by Ingress players uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, but the same company made this game called Ingress, which was more kind of an area control game where you'd join it and you'd choose a team and you'd go and just by visiting places kind of put points into them for your team and the idea was to try and claim like sections of the world and there were some other mechanics to it as well which I don't really know that much about but the point is when it was first set up um, 
the sort of creation of the data pack for the world was largely crowdsourced. You could go to a place and say, I think this should be a control point uh, because it's this historical place or it's got this special landmark on it. Um, and that's the data they're now using for Pokemon because like, one of the strange things about playing Pokemon at the moment is you end up learning quite a lot about your local area. Um, mm. There are three Poke stops near me that I can actually walk to. They're each a good couple of kilometers away, but I can walk to them. One of them's the old town pump for the village I live in. One of them's um, a bank with a blue plaque on the wall. It was apparently the first ever branch of NatWest ever opened. And one of them is a large stone placed to commemorate the Golden Jubilee, I believe. So, you know, I'm saying, like, and I know these things now. I didn't know these things existed in the town I live in, and now I do. Like, there's some local kind of history there, and there's a sense of, like, learning your environment that's kind of interesting. And that's... But, but that's not... You can't thank Pokemon for that. You should just feel fucking tragic that you didn't know these things already, surely. Well, I no, mean, but... it's a case of shouldn't people just be more aware of where they are and where their surroundings anyway? All right, but, th but this is now like kicking the door into a school and going, why are you teaching these kids things? They should know it all already. I don't think you, can be, you can't be down on that. You can't be down on that. I'm not, but you can't give them credit for it. Why not? Why, why not? It's opening because up horizons for people. they did it. <laughs> They've done it to make money. I mean, I, I will. Oh, look, I'll give them this. It's one of the most genius pieces of marketing I've seen in a while. Right? You do a staged release globally, which they could argue is the test server, blah blah blah. blah. But what it actually is is it's, it, it created this demand by people sort of hacking what, their way around the region, locking and getting the game early and stuff. It creates a sense of investment in the product, which means you're more likely to stay with the product, which means you're more likely to spend money on the microtransactions in the product. And once they've all hooked you in, and then all the poker, the, the good Pokemon start showing up at McDonald's, and everybody starts going to McDonald's because of their co-marketing deal, and you start spending money and getting fatter and fatter at McDonald's. I mean, that's what it's about. It's about making money. It's not some kind of beautiful social experience that they're doing out of the kindness of their fucking hearts. They're doing it to rinse you of your cash. I mean, that's why it exists. That, that would be... That's totally out of character for Nintendo. What you're describing is not Nintendo. Yeah, but Nintendo don't control and run the Pokemon company. They have shares in it, but it's an it's its own company. Oh, if you th if you think Nintendo don't control the Pokemon company, I don't agree with that. I think the Pokemon company will do whatever Nintendo tell them because the Pokemon company only has the rights to Pokemon for as long as Nintendo let them. So what you're saying is Nintendo is the one and only lovely corporation on the planet. No, absolutely not. But what I'm saying is, right, let's take last week, uh, last podcast as an example. We had quite a long talk about Inside, which is a very beautiful, very interesting artistic project. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but you know why they made Inside? <laughs> well, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> it was to make, make money. money. <laughs> they want your cash. They only put that really cool bit. But yeah. are, you, are, you, are, you, are you saying there's as much artistic merit behind a cheaply made geocaching mobile app as there is inside? I mean, inside actually has, you know, I don't know. Like design and ben, art. There's, there's people talking about this game uh, that have got uh, children with ADHD or autism, spectrum. or autism or, you know, all sorts of problems. And this game has brought those children into social, into the social sphere, and that's not heard of in any other game that I can think of. Can you imagine how significant that is for a video game to be good for children, demonstrably? That's incredible. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But do you think it was designed and created with that in mind? I don't mean, care. Yeah. That's what it is. I, yeah, it, it, it almost it, it doesn't matter. No, I don't think it was designed for that in mind at all. But having played it for a week, I have I, there are like just so many experiences I've had that have been genuinely like special moments. I went out this morning. There's three poke stops down in Highbridge, so I sat down on a bench and there's no one around. And I've got a lure module. I plug a lure module into the poke stop. It starts attracting Pokemon to the area. And, and ironically, as well as attracting Pokemon, it attracts Pokemon Go players. And before you know it, there's about 20 people sat around these benches or hanging out on the grass together. We're showing each other our phones, going to check out what I've caught. Oh, this is really cool. You know, parents come over, start talking to me because I'm, like, older than I fucking should be playing the game, going, <laughs> can you explain what this is about? Because my child's obsessed with it and I don't really understand it. And I'm kind of, you know, trying to reassure them that this isn't just, like the end of the world and it isn't some terrible cancer that's going to take over everything okay. like it's, it's a it's a nice thing and that was a lovely moment there's genuine goodness in this yeah. the motivation to make it for sure was to make money and they're going to no, make hands all up. the money they're going to make up. it all but hands up. It's visual, visual people watching the video my hands are actually up my hands up you know, I do play devil's advocate a little bit on these podcasts because I think it makes discussions more interesting. No doubt, all right? So I'm leaning into it a little bit heavier than maybe I would in, in reality, inverted commas. But... I think he's saying you won. We've had, <laughs> I, I, I do agree with you both. I do agree with you both. But like, we're having lots of positive news stories, okay? What happens when we start getting the negative ones? Oh, and, and that's coming, for sure, next yeah. week. Because the other thing I've noticed is there are people of a certain age in this world who are maybe suspicious of... You know, for example, if you don't like the idea of kids having mobile phones, and there are many people who don't, there are stories and there are ways you could frame this game that will make people very upset. I am I'll, I'm going to bet all the money in the world right now that the Daily Mail, at some point in the next week, are going to run some sort of Pokemon Go, it's a way for paedophiles to steal your children story. Because I had that experience with the Lures this morning, and it was a lovely moment, but I also did think... I am a 37-year-old man who has just done something in a virtual space to summon children to me. <laughs> maybe that's something you need to think about. sounds pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> that is literally what happened. Right? So there's certainly that. There's certainly a safety thing. I think there probably needs to be, and already I believe there already is, some mechanism where if you are an important location in this virtual world, but you do not want to be bothered, you probably need to have some sort of system where you can say please take me out of this game. Like, I don't want to be a gym. I don't want to be a poke stop. Please remove me. I think that's going to become necessary because there are certain areas that you maybe don't want um, huge swarms of people gathering all the time. I, I suspect they never, they never in a million years thought it would have had the impact it had as quickly as it did. So I thought they put, I imagine they thought they had time to iterate, innovate, you know, move that the, the app into a position like that as it went more and more global, as it got bigger and bigger user base. Now the problem for them is they're going to have to do that at an incredibly accelerated rate because, like you said, as these problems oh, yeah. develop and these fears grow and these issues grow, they, they're going to have to be there with answers very quickly. Otherwise, you know, as soon as the big first negative press thing hits, you know, they, they're going to have to deal with that. And it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be at this crazy rate uh, for them, so I, I hope they're ready. Because uh, other than just you know sitting there watching the numbers on the, in their bank account tick up, uh, they, they better be they better be prepared 
because there's going to be some work to do. But um, are you saying I should try again? Maybe and try and, and just try and embrace well, the, the pokey whimsy? From what I saw on Facebook, your big object, objection to it was it made you move. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a sedentary gamer. I won't deny it. Connect never worked for me. VR, yeah. room space VR doesn't appeal because I have to stand up all the time. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like to sit in the dark and play my games. Like, then preferably in a basement with no windows. Uh, <laughs> if I could play this, I'd play it to death. I'm pretty good that I can't get it. Yeah. It'd be even later to the podcast, Richard. I don't know. I don't know how we feel about that. I mean, is that is that good for you? What's that? You'd be even later to the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, here's some, some of the things. So another thing that's worth mentioning about Pokemon Go is there's lots of stories going on the internet right now about people's experiences playing it. At least fifty percent of them are fabricated because having now played it for a week, a lot of people are describing stuff that cannot happen. Um, you will not find Pokemon in your house. That's not really how it works. The Pokemon aren't so much in the world as spawned by your presence. Um, and so, for example, you wouldn't be late to the podcast because there wouldn't be anything to catch at your house. If you were late to the podcast, it would be because you were out looking for things. It's essentially a pedometer that spawns rewards. There's a little bit more depth to it than that under the bonnet, but not that much. Also worth mentioning at the moment, the servers are still irreparably fucked. Like, yeah, it's still it's a nightmare to play. Have they been down all day or something? Yeah, they've really... been down for most of the day. There was people reporting it was a denial of service attack, but given that just the player base is a denial of service attack exactly, every day, yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure I'd take particularly seriously any hacking groups taking credit for that. Yeah, you'd you'd want it to be a little bit more established though. Anyway, I mean, like you know, give it give it. Otherwise, where's your impact in in hacking it? Now you're probably right. It's just users, concurrent users, must be insane. So, What's interesting uh, to me is that they've got someone else to do this for them. Nintendo. It's what's well, two steps removed, isn't it? It's Nintendo yeah, and Pokemon Company, yeah. and then whoever it is that's actually made this game. It's a company called Niantic Labs. Thank you. Now, if they've sort of divorced themselves to that level. You've got to think, are they second-guessing that now? Are they thinking again about how involved they should be in this arena? What does it mean for their next console? Is NX going to tap into this sort of activity? My guess would be that it's outsourced in the way it is mostly because Nintendo don't really know anything about network stuff. I don't think they... And I certainly don't think they know how to make a mobile phone game. So I think it's more anything just getting the skills in. That's it, but having seen the success of this, I mean, they've done Mitomo already, that was was (coughs) so-so, you know, it worked, basically. This is on another level, it's phenomenal. It's got to influence their future direction. I think that's a pretty good shout, Richard, because one thing they have been quite actively, uh, almost obsessed with is fitness. Uh, (laughs) From the the balance board to the vitality sensor that never quite happened... Uh, I feel like I feel like they'd love to integrate something um, into a into a next gen platform. Whether or not that would take off, it's another question. You can um, imagine it though, can't you? I mean, the big rumor for NX is that it's a portable and home console in one. Yeah. So, so the controller is a mobile device that would perhaps run apps like this. Mm. Perhaps. Well, I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about Pokemon in the future because. There'll be more news stories, and you guys will... I'm sure you'll find a way to play it, Richard, and uh, obviously Adam's going to play it. Maybe I'll give it another go. Even if, I, even if I don't, I suspect I'm going to become some kind of widow to it anyway. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know... 
But let's 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 move back to some conventional games because I played a butt ton of them. Um, so I guess I should tick some of them off the list. Um, yeah, I played Tour de France, guys. Oh, oh. I, was, I was waiting for you to tell me about this. Tour de France. Now, bicycles. Do either of you know anything about competitive cycling? Yeah. Just to so just to undermine Richard's good sarcastic joke there, I'm genuinely interested in this because I played the last one. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah. I do know quite a lot about competitive cycling. Wow, because I know I know nothing about it. it. It's so the weirdest nothing. sport in existence. It's properly the weirdest sport that's ever existed. Well, let me just say the weirdest element of this game is the fast forward button. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because because you don't play most of this game, why would you? It plays it for you because oh. a stage is 190 kilometers in real time if you play it like conventionally. So, what, how would you do that? I mean, like you'd be doing that for like hours and hours and hours. I guess you could, but you'd want to kill yourself. Um, so they have a fast forward button, uh, which is weirdly only accessible when you're in team radio, uh, and then you can fast forward the game. And basically, it means you just keep with the place you're at, basically, as you fast-forward it. Now, I'll admit, I've, I'm quite surface on this. I did the tutorials, and I did one stage. I've learned about feeding, uh, and I learned about wind, which I didn't realize was so important to cycling. I really didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. And I learned about sprint finishes, uh, and the thing where you can throw your bike. Uh, I thought that was weird. Uh, a lot of this game is weird to a non-cycle what person. What do you mean, like throw yourself. your bike? You it's like... Just- let me explain it, Adam. I'm, I'm not the Fine, you're the expert. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the expert. <laughs> I played one whole stage with the Tour de France. I won, I might add. Um, but they, I don't even know how that works because you're a team. That's another thing. You play the whole game as a team of people. Uh, I'm the Sky team because it's literally the only team I recognized remotely when I went through the name of teams. But that's fine. And then I changed everybody out so they were all from Great Britain. Turns out most of the cyclists from Great Britain, not very good. But there you go, I still won. But, but um, there's two, there's two that are very good. So what was that? What was you both spoke over each other. Sorry. <laughs> what did you say, Adam? I, I just want to point out that there's a good chance that uh, the Tour de France this year in real life is going to be the sprint jersey is going to be worn by a Brit and the um, yellow jersey is going to be worn by a Brit. I Brits mean, are I, incredible at international cycling. You, you are, you are, you, it's fair, yeah. Uh, uh, there was a lot of them with high numbers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, But there was also a lot with quite low numbers. But, so there, yeah. was a spread, there was a spread uh, in my team, my Sky team, uh, and, and uh, I was giving them orders, like attack and defend, and that did things, I think, um, and then I, I did some sprinting, but I got tired. I blew up, but with less Michael Bay explosions, explosions than I hoped for. Um, it's, um, it's a curious experience, Richard. It's not one I could necessarily recommend to a non-cycle fan, because it's bonkers. <laughs> it's like it's like a racing game where you don't really spend a lot of time racing. I guess you spend a lot of time strategically positioning you and your team to take advantage of things like hill climbs. You have to very much rely on the strengths and weaknesses of different members to you know you, you you're going to have one guy who's good with the sprints, right? So you want to position him to take advantage of the sprint sections. You're going to have one guy who's good at say climbs, you know. So you want him to be positioned well for that. Though I'm not exactly sure when that works because I was I was with a small breakaway group for a lot of the race uh, and then and then when it actually came to the finale of the race the end of the stage uh, the rest of the group caught up so I was like well what what was the point of me being in this breakaway group anyway uh, <laughs> and then and then everybody just sort of went Rah! crazy for two kilometers 
and some people won, some people lost. There was a lot of people, uh, and uh, I did quite well. Yeah, and it was weird at the graphics at the end. Your guy came out, my, the same guy came out and got one jersey, and then he came out and got another jersey, and then he came out and got another jersey and another jersey. And I was like, either they're just reusing the models, or it, the same guy won everything. I <laughs> it was very strange. It was very confusing. I think they were reusing the models. To be fair, um, seems likely. Because I think only like the biggest named guys are actually have their own models in the game. Um, a lot of them don't even have pictures in their bios and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, still that fast forward button. More racing games could do with a fast forward button. It's pretty <laughs> clever. It's pretty clever. Yeah. Did you have any questions, Adam? I'm sure I can answer them. I mean, <laughs> all I'd point out really is that um, it's like, in all fairness, cycling games are not racing games. They are strategy games. Yeah. That's all cycling is is strategy. Um, yeah, and it's mostly resource management. Um, yeah. yeah. I actually, like, the, so the Tour de France game, the last one I played, I can't say it's a good game because it's not. But if you are a cycling fan and you understand cycling, I sort of want to give it some props for not fucking around. Like, it goes, no, this game is only for people who understand all the weird nuances of cycling and desperately want a game that attempts to accurately simulate all of that nonsense. If you don't understand cycling, fuck off. Like, I kind of like a game that takes that attitude. Yep, it certainly it, it does. Makes no yeah. concessions to accessibility whatsoever. And I, 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 love the, I, I like the fact that it's published by Focus Home Interactive, the same people that publish Farming Simulator and Technomancer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have, like, one of the most diverse portfolios <laughs> of B-tier games I have ever seen on the planet. These guys put out the weirdest, nichiest shit, and I respect that. I really respect that they are they are putting out games from people that otherwise just wouldn't get released. Like they just wouldn't exist um, if that if Focus Home Interactive weren't putting them out. Uh, and I, I like that. I like that these weird fucking niche games for people that want very specific experiences exist, even if to me it's incredibly confusing. Uh, but I reckon if I spent more time at it and maybe watch some cycling, my last experience of cycling, by the way, Adam was. Uh, I was at the, the, when I was a kid, I was at the inaugural Tour de France stage in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I remember that, um, I was Dover, I think it was, um, on the White Cliffs and stuff. I remember because of my, I had connections to politics back then and stuff like that. So I was there, I remember that, and I remember seeing, meeting the guy with the yellow jersey at the time and stuff, and I'm a little kid. It meant very little to me. And lots of bikes. I yeah. just remember lots of bikes. My wife always wants to take me to a Tour de France stage because she's absolutely obsessed with um, road cycling. And I have to, I've got to admit, I can't imagine anything more boring as a spectator sport than cycling. Like, you stand there, <laughs> and then they all ride past, and you go, well, that was some blokes on bikes. Hooray! It's kind of like I'm a massive, <laughs> I'm a massive fan of Formula One, but I would never want to see Formula One in person because yeah. you'll, be on one ter- you'll be on one corner, and they'll go past really fast, and they do that repeatedly... And that's all that happens. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what's no? What? Let me watch it on TV. That may, then it makes sense. Um, but uh, yeah, lots of it's a weird game. Um, what should we talk about now, Adam? Do you have any games you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Steamworld Heist? I thought you already talked about Steamworld Heist. No, it's been on the list twice, but we've never talked about it. Okay then. Um, Steamworld Heist is really interesting because it's uh, essentially the gameplay of it is side-on XCOM, mm. which I didn't think would work, and it turns out it works really, really well. Um, you get to kind of, your guy just puts his gun up and then you just angle it up and down and sometimes you get like a laser sight if that's what the gun's got and you can ricochet off the scenery 
Um, and so there's a lot of kind of trick shots and trying to work out how to bounce bullets around the environment to get them to hit who you want them to hit. And so that core gameplay is just really satisfying and really enjoyable. Uh, there's a really nice narrative to it. The look of the game is really lovely. Um, it all comes from it. It's definitely got some background in mobile phone development because it's got the kind of the three stars for a level system and, and all the kind of reward sequences. They're full of those kind of mobile phony haptic sort of design things that I was trained to do when I was working in mobile games. It's just a lovely thing. Like I kind of don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want to spoil the surprises in the experience for people, but I definitely recommend playing it because I just found it to be one of the most enjoyable, short, but very, very enjoyable experiences I've had in games in a long time. I, I was really, really impressed with it. I've heard really good things, uh, and I, I want to play it myself, definitely. Um, is, it ju is it just PC? So it's on Vita as well, and I think there's a 3DS version. It's yes, gone through the handhelds, and now it's on PC. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to give it a go. Um, I'll try definitely pick it up sometime. I love my XCOM. I'm really looking forward to XCOM 2 coming to console. I, I'm at that point now, annoyingly, with my PC, where it's just I can't, I can't play the new games anymore. So I desperately, um, that's my next thing. Well, it's not my next thing. My next thing, actually, I wanted to talk to Richard about, because I noticed he wrote it down on his list of things. Uh, I, my next thing is an Xbox One S. Which I've, yes, uh, you pre-ordered the two terabyte version, haven't you? I did. I have in sexy robot white, I think they call it, or something. And I really. said I was, I said I was going to wait until there's a black one. I thought um, you were joking. Is that a genu genuinely a thing? Oh yeah, I don't want a white one, but I, yeah. I thought, yeah, black one can't be far off. And then the other day, I saw they've announced a red one. Oh, a Gears of War one. Yeah. I like red. So yeah, new new Gears of War four Xbox One S with Gears of War four in it, and it's got like claw marks, laser burned out of the shell and, sh and shit. So that looks. <coughs> if you say so, I hate gimmick consoles and controllers <laughs> with a passion. I, I fucking just because you you might you might stop liking the game, you might fall out of love with it, and you might look at that thing in your home entertainment system. Yeah, and go, oh, I've, I've always I've always thought the same, but I'd like a red console. And it doesn't say Gears of War 4 on it. It's just Gears of War branded. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what... That's been around forever. If I, don't I like know, it I don't, now... I, I'm not normally a big person for white electronic devices, but I have to say that the One S looks really good. Looks it really does look good. good. Yeah. And it's but coming it's, with a vertical stand, and I'm, I'm looking forward to standing it vertically. Isn't sure. the problem with white electronics, though, that they do look really good for the day they stay white, and then they start to look awful? No, I think that's because you smoke... Yeah, it's possibly because I smoke, yes. <laughs> but I do think like, generally they look filthy afterwards. Like even yeah. even yes. people who don't smoke, I've seen their like I, I, white I, Xboxes. I have and special. They don't look the same. I have special wipes for my electronics, so I, I keep them clean. I, yeah. I don't I don't I buy consoles them. to sit there polishing them. That just seems ridiculous. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. No, you're right. And both of me and Richard buying one is pretty fucking weird that we're even doing this. But hey, what can I say? We're crazy gamers, I suppose. And that's what we do. But I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the extra hard drive space because I've filled up my my external drive and my internal drive. So another 1.5 terabytes should uh, help out quite nicely. Well, mine's going to be a second console. I'll still keep my old one downstairs. <laughs> this is my third console. <laughs> Don't yeah, turn. Yeah, that is pretty weird for you. <laughs> I am going to get rid of one. I am going to get rid of one. Um, but anyway, I, I've got I've got games. I should talk about Song of the Deep. 
There's not even an attempt at a segue there, but I should talk about Song of the Deep because it's it's an interesting partnership, if anything else. It's uh, developed by Insomniac, um, known for you know big AAA franchisee shooter things recently, at least. Sunset uh, Overdrive. Resistance. Yeah, Resistance, Sunset Overdrive, and stuff like that. And published by GameStop's new publishing arm, Game Trust. Uh, this is their first um, published title. Uh, which is cool if you're an indie developer, I suppose. It means you can get your, your games into GameStop a lot easier. But Insomniac is not an indie developer. Insomniac is a massive fucking developer. So it doesn't really help them, really. I mean, it, it feels like the wrong kind of partnership almost. If it was like um, a tiny little developer that could do with the exposure, great. But And weirdly, I think with Song of the Deep, um, the fact that Insomniac is not an indie developer and it is a triple-A developer, it shows up a lot in this game. This game doesn't really have a lot of sort of interesting creativity going for it. It's quite pretty, but not... After just playing, for example, Inside, it's not stunningly different in its visuals. It looks nice, but it's not, like, mind-blowing. You're not going to be remembering those visuals and going, oh, my God, Son of the Deep, what a fantastically artsy game. Uh, and then the gameplay itself, it's Metroidvania, and it's all underwater. You play as this, this young girl who's father has gone out to sea on a fishing expedition and, and disappeared and you go you play as a young girl you throw together a submarine you go to rescue your dad and it's all whimsical and light-hearted in its tone and and that's all pleasant enough uh and, and it controls fine i mean the submarine it, it's swimmy enough but it's precise enough uh and 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 everything works it works just fine and you're collecting things and you're upgrading your submarine which means as a metroidvania game you're unlocking other stages because of your upgrades and able to progress and and you know, pick up more collectibles and find out more of the whimsical story and see more of the the underwater sea life and the other kind of. It's all very um, sort of fairy tale esque uh, interpretation of underwater life, you know. And and that's that's all nice. It's all nice. It's nice. It's it's a good experience, but it's not special. I mean, that's the great thing about a lot of indie games. They often shoot beyond their means. They often aim for something they can't realistically achieve, but they're going to damn well try. And even if they fail, it'll usually be in a glorious fireball. You know, it'll be spectacular. But, but you know, Insomniac can made a very competent game here. And, and, and you know, when, when the best word to describe a game is competent, you realise they've missed a little something special. And that's, okay. and that's my problem with Song of the Deep. It's just not special when there are so many games out there that are. It's you know? kind so, of interesting to me, because I, I do like Metroidvania type yeah, games. Yeah, I, I, um, I... Yeah. When it they're in vehicles, it, mm. it loses something. I mean, the, yeah, what, that does. game, Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet, was another one like that, wasn't mm -hmm. it? Where um, it's a Metroidvania style, but you're in a vehicle. It just feels a little bit more dry. There's not that character there. I mean, obviously, you, you're not a character. You're a car or whatever. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't look fantastic, but I was hoping it would no. want to be up for, on a sale or something. It's the it. thing. There's an incredible layer of level of polish to it, as you'd expect, because it's it's beyond triple indie. It's an actually it's a you know an A tier developer doing an indie title, which it really isn't. Mm. It's it's polished really nicely. Um, you know everything works really well, but I feel like they they maybe spent too much time making sure the game worked really well and not enough time being creative with it. Um, yeah. There's no real new ideas in there. Um, you know. I, you know, I, I think the only score I could ever give it was a three out of five, based on our scale, and and that's exactly what it was. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have got any questions about it, but 
it, it never it left me a little cold, really. Yeah. Does it play as much like Echo the Dolphin as it looks? I no. suppose is my question. Because it looks very Echo to me. No, e- Echo Echo was I remember that controlling terribly. But... No, you're wrong. Oh. You're so wrong. You were playing it badly. <laughs> okay. I didn't have I didn't have a great I didn't have like an in depth experience with Echo to be honest. No, I, I know you're saying like the, the controls of Echo were sort of uh, idiosyncratic, but that was to create the sensation of a dolphin swimming around rather yes. than just moving a cursor, which is what you'd otherwise have been doing. Well, this is what that, this is. This it controls the left stick makes it feel quite a lot like um, a twin stick shooter in its control almost. Right, okay. It's a twin stick shooter because there's no right stick um, analog direct control. I mean, you have like weapons, you have this harpoon, and you can pick things up. And there, there are puzzles. There are some quite nicely designed puzzles in there. Uh, and there's obviously, like I said again, loads of it's. It, Almost frustratingly, Metroidvania. It it revels in it. It's like here's the thing you can't get through yet, but you will be able to. And it and it telegraphs it as well. When you see the thing, you're like, oh, that's a fire thing, so I'll need a nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a steel thing, so I'll need a, a stronger thing to get yeah. through that. You know, it really telegraphs the nature of its of the genre. It's so comfortably sat within, and it just it's just so it's just by the numbers. It's just buying the numbers of Metroidvania, and they're better Metroidvania games, like Shadow Complex, for example, you know? So, you know, go play that. Yeah, that is a shame. I mean, one of the real hooks of a Metroidvania is that often you'll find an ability and go, oh, those things that were everywhere that I thought were just a recurrent piece of scenery, oh, yeah. my God, all of them turn out now to be doorways that take me to somewhere new. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And that sudden sense of the world opening out, and, yeah, it sounds like this does not do that. Nope, you just constantly see things and go, oh, I could do with that currency, but it's behind a... Yeah. A metal door, so I'll have yeah. to come back and get that. Um, if and I on, the, on the face of it, that's quite a small thing, isn't it? But it's a big difference between mm. advertising that you're limited from going to places than to be suddenly yeah. surprised that the world is twice as big as, the, as you thought it was. Because the problem with that is, essentially, it just turns all your abilities into the blue key card and the red key card and the yellow key card. Another problem I have with the game is, tonally, it it's, um, presents itself almost like a, a kid's game. Full of whimsy and very light-hearted yeah. in its story, uh, and it and it goes along at the beginning quite easily, hand-holding, and then all of a sudden the difficulty just goes off the cliff. And it's like, oh, oh, this is like a real game where I'm gonna have to like really think about what I'm doing and like you know reactions and timing and all of that all of a sudden comes into play, and I'm I'm going from dying never to dying six, seven, eight times in a row, and it's just like, oh. That's a lot less fun than it was a minute ago because I was in this mindset and actually now I need to be in that mindset and it's uh, it, it kind of kind of came out of nowhere um, the spike and I was like oh all right okay I was I thought this was a very different game for a moment but I was wrong um, but you know hey then uh, it's just not it's just not special enough it's okay it's just not special um, did anybody else want to throw anything out before I talk about my sort of the last bit I really want to Talk about today. Have you, has anybody got anything else? I'm no, like I got nothing. I got nothing. Pokemon Go and crying in front of news sites. That's all I've done. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well, well, um, yeah. I mean, it's, to be fair, games. Uh, I've not been getting a lot of code recently. There's not been a lot of big releases. It's all a bit quiet. Um, so I, I, I went back and I put Just Cause Three back in. Now, my initial review, Richard. I don't, I don't know if you remember this. I yes, think I do. I was very harsh on Just Cause 3 at launch last year. Um, it had some incredibly poor it was very, it had some incredibly bad, I should say, performance problems. The performance was very poor on consoles. Um, and I think a lot of people gave it a pass uh, 
in the bigger outlets because they were reviewing on high-end PCs uh, and therefore, you know, the game to them was this amazing experience. But on console, you know, it was, yeah, it had really bad load times, incredibly bad frame rate issues, um, especially when it was things were exploding. And, you know, Just Cause, things were exploding all the fucking time. That is kind of the point of Just Cause, isn't it? It is 100% the point of Just Cause. And um, I've kind of been keeping an eye on it uh, over the the intervening months. With this sort of thing in mind, I'm going to try and make this a slightly recurring thing, at least in the quiet summer months, where I go back and I check out a game, you know, post-patches, post-DLC. I think the next thing I'm going to do might be Fallout 4. Uh, And uh, and just have a little reevaluate, maybe do a video, maybe talk about it, see see where things are at. Uh, Because games now are platforms and they seem to evolve more than they ever have done in the past. So, you know, let's talk technical side of it, first of all, Just Cause. Things are better. They're not perfect, but low <laughs> have definitely been improved, um, especially when you're within the main game uh, and you're moving into the side activities and back into the main game. Things seem considerably faster. But the biggest change for me was what the DLC has brought to the game. Um, there's been two of the three announced packs have come out so far, and the reason I was able to look at these is I picked up the DLC in the sale, uh, and I got it for, I think, um, just over half the price, which you know, is it's reasonable for a DLC season pass. I'd actually like to see things like season passes on sale more often. Um, they rarely come up in the sale. So so when they do, I definitely uh, consider them. And the, the first pass of this uh, DLC... If you haven't bought them already, guys. Yes, exactly. Like I did for The Division, and I might <laughs> be regretting that. Um, but anyway, the, the, the first part of this uh, DLC was a seemingly simple addition to your wingsuit. But boy, oh boy, does it make it a lot more fun to use. It gives you a rocket pack and a machine gun and a missile launcher. So you are now basically a fighter plane that can take off at any point from anywhere in the game. And you are a fucking badass in the air. Whereas when you used to be on the wingsuit, you used to feel quite vulnerable and you'd crash into the ground. Now I can fly up into the air, and I can rain down destruction, and I can get around the map much, much quicker. I haven't got to try and find a helicopter, for example. I need to get over two kilometers away, because the map in Just Cause is massive. The world is huge. So if you are not, if you haven't got a flying vehicle or you know, this DLC, it can take a really long time to get to A to B, especially as, weirdly, they limit your use of fast travel in this game. You have to be a certain consumable to use fast travel in Just Cause. Um, which seems like a crazy design thing that I didn't even talk about initially in the review. And if I had, I would have stated it even more for it. Um, but, you know, yeah, there's a limit. But now you have a personal rocket pack, and you turn yourself into a fighter plane, and you can just rip around the sky wherever the fuck you want, flying all over the place, you know, you're just doing crazy stunts. and It just makes everything more kinetic, more faster, even more intense than it was before, which is, you know, already quite intense. It just It's so much fun. Once you get the hang of it, you feel amazing. And it's quite tricky, but, you know, put enough time in, you'll be great. And then, you know, in addition to that, there's a whole lot of, like, uh, aerial-based um, mission stuff with a sky fortress and stuff. Oh, hello, there's a wave, Richard. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a family podcast. Everybody's involved in BXP's business. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to breathe in that moment, actually. And then in the second piece of DLC, which was the land part of the land, sea, and air pack, uh, you get um, what... I'm just going to put it simple. You get a mech. You get a mech you can call down at any point to just fuck shit up. And uh, this mech is badass because it's probably the fastest sort of military unit in the game as well. So you can go at about 80 kilometers an hour in your mech, and you have a big fucking cannon, loads of armor. It's upgradable. 
Uh, you can jump because uh, you know you needed that, uh, and you know just add that to your repertoire of destruction in Just Cause. It's so much fun. So the, I just—it's just a shame these things were. I have to wonder where they removed from the main game to be made into DLC, or were they really fresh ideas? Because I would have possibly considered this game a lot better, even with the technical problems, if these had been in there from the beginning. And it's a shame they've gated them behind the season pass and from behind this DLC. Because I don't know what they're going to do for the sea expansion, because I never spent any time in boats in this game. But hey, maybe it'll be a submarine. That'll be cool. Um, but look, you know, I think that season pass has added a lot to a game. They've definitely done some technical refinements. The frame rate still dips in the explosions a bit at times when it's really intense, but it's nowhere near as bad as it was. So yeah, Just Cause 3 has definitely become a better game mm -hmm. over the intervening months. Mm -hmm. So hey, worth checking out again now, I think. Do they... I mean, it's difficult to ask this question because having played not the latest Just Cause, but previous ones, challenge was never really on the agenda. Like You were kind of god in those games, and it was just about... Which of your godlike powers will you utilize in each situation? But it sounds to me like these really are basically cheat modes. Like these sent both yeah. insane. Yeah. yeah. So but that might be a reason to not have them in the main game. Yeah, but the great thing is they, they introduce them in this DLC, and then you can bring all of that stuff into the the main game. Yeah. Because I because I hadn't finished all the, the clearing all the areas in the main game, I was able to use the the jetpack with the um, wingsuit and able to use the mech to to just lay out ridiculous levels of destruction. Which um yeah, which is the whole point of Just Cause really. I mean it. I think at times it try it takes itself a little bit too seriously. Uh, one thing I do love about the, the Just Cause, and I loved even at you know when it came out, is the environment. It. I spent a lot of time in Greek islands and the Mediterranean, and at night when you're you know on a bay and you're looking out over the sea at the 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 headland that's coming out, and you see the twinkling lights of the town over there or the city over there. It's like I'm literally stood in Greece, looking out on a Greek island, looking out over the sea. It is gorgeous, the environment in Just Cause. I am it's such an impressive open world. Absolutely stunning. It's almost too big, actually, but hey, you know. Um, it's it's just gorgeous, though. Just gorgeous. So, yeah, I, I recommend going out and checking it out again now with this with this DLC. Yeah, definitely. Any, so any questions, Richard? What Adam says about cheat, cheat modes is interesting. Um, that reminds me of Crackdown, because that had that keys to the city mode, didn't it, that was in the DLC, yeah. which is pretty much the same thing. It's, you know, it's, not, it's not as egregious as that, but, you know, um, it just gives you more choices. And I think a game like Just Cause, it, it should just be full of crazy, zany choices for it to be as fun as possible, yeah. So... Yeah, I look forward to seeing what they do with the sea stuff. I, d I don't know what that would be, like I said, but I, I look forward to checking it out. And I think, I think, I think, unless you guys have got anything you'd like to add, I think that brings us towards the end of this uh, this edition of the BXP's Bits and Bobs. Wow, we're within a reasonable time this week. Well, we did well. No, we did well last last time. We did it in ninety minutes uh, in our last episode. And, uh, we're a little bit under that this time. Um, but I feel I don't feel like there's that there's that much need. Actually, I just thought of something. Adam, you wanted to talk about board games, didn't you? Oh, it's fine. We don't need to talk about board games if no one wants to. I've, I've just, I've, I finished this week uh, the playthrough of Pandemic Legacy. Um, if anyone out there has not heard of Pandemic Legacy, um, it's a board game. Uh, it's an adaptation of an old co-op board game called Pandemic in which you there's four diseases ravaging the world. You have to run around treating them and try to find the cure for them. And if you can cure all four diseases before you run out of time, or before the diseases become 
beyond comprehension all over the board, uh, then you win. And that was always kind of a... It's a very strong co-op game. It's a nice theme. Everyone gets it. It's not dragons or UFOs or anything too silly. It's, you know, it feels like it's a, a more grown-up piece of work. Um, what Pandemic Legacy brings into the mix is an ongoing campaign. So each game you play of it is part of a sequence that you go through. Um, there's lots of surprises in it. When you open the box, there's all these kind of boxed-off components with signs on the top of them saying, like, don't open this until. Um, and until you reach those criteria, you don't get to open those boxes. Um, there's also a whole load of the rules aren't in the rule book and get added to it later in the form of stickers. So it's almost like doing a Panini sticker album for, for new rules. And there's a small deck of cards that you flip over at the start of each game that take you through a genuinely a kind of nice narrative with like some good surprises. Um, and I don't want to spoil anything that happens in the game because there are some proper curveballs in there. Uh, but by the end of it, you really get the sense that you've been through a proper story. Um, all sorts of things happen. Of course, but at the end of this, you've got a board game that you've actually finished. Like you don't, you can't play it again, um, which is an interesting thing. I think you certainly get your money's worth out of it. Uh, but I, it's something that makes some people sort of hesitate. For yeah. example, in the course of playing the game, you do rip up some of the components. Like you literally destroy parts of this game. Oh, no, you, I think you, you actually so cool. can't play it again. Well, no, 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 you literally can't. Like I say, it's done. Um, you put stickers on the board permanently. You write on the board with pen. Um, Certain like there are rules in the game that will cause elements of the game to be actually torn up and put in the bin prematurely, so that they can never be part of your game again. Um, mm. Which, but like the, the the consequence of that is that you have a real sense of permanence and weight to decisions that you're making. Yeah, it's just not there with any other game. It's it's a really interesting. There's like a video gamey sort of vibe to it in a way. Um, it feels like playing on like Iron Man mode. On, a, on XCOM 2 or something. Um, but it was a very interesting experience, definitely one I'm very pleased I had. I would recommend it to anyone. It, it works great as, as a couple. It was just me and my wife playing it. It doesn't need a lot of players. And, yeah, it was a very special experience. I, uh, I mentioned it to my wife, and uh, I think we're going we're gonna to go for it. I love the concept of a board game that changes the paradigm of what a board game should be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, 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 I've never been much into the adult board game stuff. I, I guess video games have filled that hole for me, but um, I mean, like, the idea of playing this just with my wife, well, that was the main thing holding me off. I thought you would need more players for it to be a proper good experience, but you telling me that it works really well with two players has really sold it on me, uh, and I have no problem with the idea of its permanency. I mean, it's like 60 quid or something, or 50 yeah. quid, similar to a full-price video game, and it's yeah. like a narrative-based full-price video game. I'm not going to go back and play that again either, so I'm not I'm not going to necessarily feel cheated by that. Um, how, how, much, uh, how many hours? What are we talking about playtime? <coughs> um, I mean, I... With it being a board game, obviously it's turn-based, and so how many hours it takes you to play really depends genuinely quite a lot on how long it takes you to make decisions. Um, we probably got about like 12 hours out of it. Uh, probably more than that, actually. 12 to maybe 14, something like that. But, we, it, you know, it lasted us... Each play session it came out for, we'd play three or four games of it, and it came out four or five times before we'd finished it. Um, and it's... I, and it works in a way where as you play a bit and you can put it away and then you can yeah, bring it back yeah. out. So it, it's like, I mean, it, it, it would be difficult to stop mid-game, but each game only takes about 45 minutes to an hour. Getcha. Um, and then, yeah, there's permanence. And that's, that's why, again, that's why you're putting stickers on the board rather than tokens mm. down and stuff. It's so that you can put it away. And then when you get it out, you can go, oh, yeah, Paris is still fucked. Oh, there's mm. still rioting in Baghdad. We now can't travel there. Oh, shit. 
So it's, yeah. it's crazy. That's like a, you're talking. You're talking about a save game, which I think is yeah, yeah. incredible. It's exactly that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's such it's a cool a... idea that the, the designer looked at video games and what they were doing clearly, mm. and went, "Let's bring that into the board game space." I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah, like, I'm gonna give that a go. I'm gonna just, give that. Without spoiling any of the sort of major mechanics, this is one that's introduced in the very first time you read the rule book. Uh, you have characters, and they can take damage and die by being in places when bad things happen. Uh, if a character dies, the rule book is quite explicit that you tear that character card up and you put it in the bin, and they're gone forever now. And like that has real impact. You know, if you've got a character in your game who's got some really cool abilities that you're finding very useful, you will often go, well. You could do this, and then we'd win the game, but you might die doing it. Or you could go over here and be safe, and we'll definitely lose, but you will survive. And, you know, if it was a one-off board game, you would never make the second decision. But in this game, you will pretty much always make the second decision, because you really awesome. don't want to kill people, you know? Sounds it's just like, really, really interesting experience. Sounds like it leads to some really interesting discussions. It does. It and really back does. and forth, and debates, and... Oh, should we do? Oh, yeah. Then uh-huh. that sounds that, that level of investment in a board game. That just sounds that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I'm 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 totally up for that. I'm gonna convince the wife, and I think yeah, next paycheck, let's come my way. Let me get that. Anyway, so the board games, wrestling, video games, quite a lot of bad video games sadly in there today. Uh, hopefully there'll be some better ones on the horizon. You you guys need to play more video games, by the way. Just saying. <laughs> uh, for next week, you ask your homework. Play more video games. Um, well, I will try. Let's do some shout-outs as we're here today. A lot of people uh, will only listen to this podcast you know, through iTunes or whatever. Uh, we are the BXB Bits and Bobs, uh, so we're the podcast for bxbgames.co.uk, which you can also find on Twitter, and you can also find on Facebook. Um, I am also D-I-Y-E on Twitter. Richard, where are you? I am Colonel Red on Twitter. Lyrical, baby. Beautiful. Yeah, Beautiful. It's good, it's good. Adam? Uh, I'm Adam Breeden Dev on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter feed at the moment is mostly just screenshots of my crappy game I'm working on and me ranting and raving about uh, the joys of the world. But uh, I will try and have more video game content on there in the coming weeks because really, yeah. how much more can happen? Seriously. <sighs> Don't, you fucker. Did you really just say that? <laughs> you fucking asshole. My God, how much... Ah, it'll all be fine in the end. It'll be fine in the end. Yeah, we'll be dead. Uh, the world will be a burnt cinder. That's the only way. Um, but <laughs> Richard's giving me that look of, okay, Ben, try to find that optimism in your heart. I know it's down there somewhere. But that, that's uh, a beautiful way, beautiful sign-off for the podcast. See you next week. That was if, my, if the world hasn't been destroyed. That was my mm. wistful look. I was just thinking back longingly to the days when all we had to worry about was frequent deaths of celebrities. Wasn't they yeah, great true. days? <laughs> <laughs> and then we said, oh, 2016 is awful. But yeah, no, it was great, it turns out. <laughs> I, yeah. I, yep, yep, yep. Um, but that's that's another episode of BXB's Bits and Bobs in the can. Please follow us on the social medias. And like I said at the top of the show, if you're interested in joining us in some exciting form, we would love to have you. So drop us a line and uh, we'll talk. That'd be great. And we'll be back in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. Bye.